Welcome to the Maverick Mindset Podcast, a podcast that will explore the stories of people who have chosen to take life into their own hands, in their own way, and define what success means for them. Be prepared to be inspired, motivated, and maybe even learn something new. My name is Romeo Santos, and I'll be your host. This is the Maverick Mindset Podcast. Let's go. What's up, Maverick Nation? It's Romeo Santos, your host of the Maverick Mindset Podcast. And today, we're going to be talking with a very good old friend of mine. His name is Ray Voigt. Mr. Voigt has been in hospitality, nightlife, and entertainment for over 20 years, and he's operated numerous concepts throughout the D.C. area, most memorably for nightclub, play lounge, Lotus, Midtown, and Dirty Bar. During that time, Ray launched his entertainment company called 1AM Management, and in just the last few years, he's produced over 16 major music festivals, numerous concerts, and celebrity appearances. 1AM Management is growing on not only a local, but also a national level. And when Ray isn't busy being awesome, he is spending time with his wonderful wife, Trisha, and their three fur babies. So let's welcome Ray to the show, Maverick Nation. Ray, welcome. What's up, my man? Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Rome, man. It's uh, great to finally catch up again and, uh, and, and join the party here. Yeah, man. Well, super excited to have you. We just told everybody um, a brief overview about the awesomeness that you are. And, you know, what we like to do is kind of go back and, and, and dig a little bit and start from the beginning, um, high school, elementary school, childhood, whatever it is that started to kind of show you the person that you, you maybe didn't know you were yet, but, but started to really kind of show you who you were as a person. So tell us a little about like, where, where'd you grow up? What was life like for you as a kid? Well, uh, my earth, I'm a Montgomery County kid. Um, I grew up uh, the really early years of my life in Silver Spring, uh, the Tacoma Park area. And then uh, as I got to like my teenage years, I was uh, out uh, in Gaithersburg, Maryland, where um, I don't know if you've ever been to Gaithersburg or in Gaithersburg back then. I absolutely love it uh, for the experience I had. But at the time when I moved out there from Silver Spring, I was like, what is this? <laughs> There's yeah. nothing out here, you know? Right. Um, and then you quickly realize no one's from Gaithersburg back then. You know, everybody's yeah. from somewhere else. Uh, so being from Montgomery County, um, I, I lived on both sides of what Montgomery County was, right? Uh, my parents were really young. I was the first of four kids, uh, mm. 20 years old. I believe they both were when they had me. Um, so I had very young and vibrant parents um, yeah. and they didn't have a lot of money. You know, uh, when we first started off, there was a lot of love, uh, a lot of family time and things like that. But, we, you know, we didn't know we didn't have money. But when we kind of, as I grew up, you know, my, my dad had his own business. He was an entrepreneur, you okay. know, and um, that's when we moved to Gainsbourg. We had a little bit more money. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and uh, you realize then you're like, damn, I didn't have any money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're a kid. Uh, but Montgomery County is definitely a, uh, an interesting place. It was a melting pot, very diverse, right? Um, growing up, I played a lot of sports um, that kind of kept me occupied and out of trouble. Um, I played football. I played basketball. I even uh, was kind of forced to be on swim team. My mom made me swim. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I was I was good at it. Uh, it wasn't something I, I, I really wanted to continue to pursue. It's a hard sport. I mean, you're up really early. Uh, practicing I mean it's 24 it, it never ends swimming never ends and when I got to uh a little further advanced in it and I saw people like literally shaving head to toe to get an advantage and I wasn't going to do that in like ninth grade you know so <laughs> sure. I, I dropped that I dropped that really quickly but yeah I think sports uh 
uh, really shaped me. But Montgomery County, you know, um, again, going back to that, just having such a diverse group of friends and, uh, and uh, having a lot of opportunity, you know, uh, Montgomery County created a lot of opportunity for me. Okay. What do you mean by that? What were some of the opportunities you think Montgomery County created for you? Um, I, I mean, there, there was quite a few. I mean, just some of the relationships, you know, that I, yeah. I, I did. I mean, when you and I met, we met in Montgomery County, right? Yeah, we did. So yeah. it, I, I developed a lot of relationships early on that I didn't even realize would help me later in life, you know, yeah. um, whether it be from, you know, someone who got me into a meeting or someone who got me a job or, you know, somebody who got me an interview to something when I was a young guy and you don't have this great resume and all these experiences, you know, people are like, hey, I know this guy. And, and you know, that's how business was done back then. It wasn't LinkedIn. There wasn't all this social media. There wasn't right. all this stuff. I mean, you, you, it's still very true that your network uh, is your net worth. But, you know, back then it was, I, I feel like that was even more important. And, I just feel like all the, the, the friendships and relationships that I forged early on, you know, it did help me get my foot in the door where it was today, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, well, they, they say that, you know, no, nobody does it alone, right? Everybody gets help some, somewhere along the way, for sure. Awesome. So, so Pops was an entrepreneur, yep. and obviously you played a lot of sports. Did you feel like when you were younger that an entrepreneur um, life was going to be the way for you, or, or were you planning to go the traditional route, go to school, get a job and retire one day? Well, I thought I was going to be in the NBA. Uh, my body, uh, my genetics didn't uh, take me there. Right? Sure. Uh, I was a good basketball player. I played it. I played at Montgomery College. Like I had some offers to play uh, at four-year schools and stuff like that. Obviously, as we get into like how my career progressed, I, I didn't pursue that. Um, but I felt like I was focused on kind of going the traditional route. I felt like in high school, one of the things I wanted to do is uh, I always wanted to make commercials because I had mm. that kind of creative mindset. And I always used to love like the really funny commercials, like the Miller Lite commercials or like, you know, something would come on TV. I was always uh, intrigued by that, you know, like, like who got these guys together and wrote that script and like did this. It's like, it's such a great thing. And it's like, you know, it's 30 seconds of your life, you know? And, right it's just incredible to get that information out in that amount of time and, and capture somebody's attention. Um, so I always was very interested in that, but obviously with sports, you were going to go the route of, you know, going through school and doing all that stuff. But the mindset mm -hmm. watching my father always created um, a curiosity in me. Like I was always a very curious kid and very curious uh, young adult about why things happen and like how they happen and why someone mm -hmm. would make a decision like that. Um, and my father's company, he was uh, in landscaping. Uh, so he had snowplow and he had uh, home improvement. And okay. he had some pretty big commercial contracts and he had residential, right? So I got to see him interact with customers, clients, and uh, like board members at the same time, right? So there's things that like he did that I thought he did amazing. And I mean, he's, you know, somebody who's so influential in my life. I'm actually junior. So I'm named after my father. Mm. And a lot of people who know me closely know that. You know, so like, you know, when you're at my mom's house, you hear Raymond, I'm not Ray, right? Right. And uh, it, it's kind of weird for some of my friends, you know, sometimes they're like, oh yeah, that's right, that's Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it, you know, just, it, it sparked a, a curiosity in me. I wouldn't say that that made me necessarily, cause I saw ups and downs in my father's business. I mean, he did very well, but I, I saw him also struggle, you know, at the beginning. And um, I lived that too, right? You know, yeah. I mean, I'm under his roof. I'm, I'm too young to have a job. And like, 
I see him, you know, literally there was days that I would go to school and I wouldn't see him and I would only know he came home because I would see like a plate in the sink, right? Mm. Like he, he literally would come home, eat after we all went to bed and would be gone before we got up. Mm. And I mean, back then when you're getting up at school, you're getting up for school at six in the morning. I mean, you're still up pretty early. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know if that's a route I would go, but I did like how he had control of his life, you know, in, in a lot of regards. And, um, and I saw how hard he worked and it, and it, it bred success for him, you know, so, mm. and it helped our family, you know, and helped yeah. everybody, not just our immediate family, everybody. I mean, I had uncles that worked for my father, sure. you know, so it was, it was really, truly a family business. Yeah. But, and you said something early on when you said, you know, we didn't, we didn't know where we, we were poor, right? Right early on when, when it first started and, and it was a lot of love. And, and I, I, I feel like you hear that a lot from people that end up succeeding, that maybe there's something about that, like growing up, just that love, right? That, 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 that build of the heart from an early age perhaps has something to do with helping them to grow and maybe push through things and challenges. So it's interesting that you continue to kind of hear that same message. Like we didn't know we were poor. We didn't know any better. Right. right? right. <laughs> okay. I very both, cool. Like I said, Montgomery County had kind of both sides of it. Yeah, and, for sure. You know, um, it, you didn't feel any different either way. It's just, as I grew up, I realized that there was a lot more uh, like, you know, things we had things, yeah. materials. And, you right. know, if I wanted a pair of Air Jordans in high school or something like that, it wasn't an issue. You know, I mean, I'm sure my parents put different challenges in front of me. Like they always did like, you know, make mm -hmm. sure you get these grades or, for my dad, it was score this many points in the basketball game, or what, you know, whatever it may have been, yeah. there was always a challenge in front of me. Nothing was truly just given. Right. Oh, but okay. at the same time I had access to, you know, I was a fly little dude. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> okay, so, cool. All right. So did a, did a little bit of um, um, junior college ball, had some offers mm -hmm. and tell us about, you know, coming through high school, going through those college years and those influential twenties. Okay. So like, you know, obviously very impressionable ages in your, you know, yeah. in your life. Um, in high school, uh, I really didn't get along with my varsity basketball coach, right? Like he had other plans and uh, he was a good coach, uh, very good disciplinarian. But like towards my like junior year, uh, I could tell like he, he just would do different things. Like I was, I, the way I played the game was a little more like you would see today with like, you know, people are dribbling. They have a, you know, great ball handling ability. They shoot threes from a little further away than you're supposed to. He was more of like an Indiana, like Hoosiers type, mm. like, you know, coach is more about fundamentals and stuff. Um, and, and obviously fundamentals are, are, are the baseline of everybody's game, but you know, he, he made it hard for me at times. So I, I was getting ready to transfer to Einstein. I think that you and I had this conversation when we first met. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a cousin that went there and a couple guys I played AAU basketball with. So uh, Marvin Lewis was the guy and, and obviously not to put Marvin out there, but he was recruiting us through AAU. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a Montgomery County public school. So you're not supposed right. to do that. And um, I had a lot of good friends that went to good counsel and I considered doing it, but um, I, I had this opportunity come up. And uh, as I as I considered going to Einstein, I, I, you know, went through their programs, played summer league with them. Um, we did very, very well. Um, and I had an uncle that lived in the school district, so I could easily, you know, say I'm changing my address or whatever. So this whole play was going into, sure. into form, right? So yeah. uh, we go down to Wilmington, North Carolina as a team for a, a team camp. Like, you know, you go down there for a week, there's like, you know, 
500 high school basketball teams down there and you basically play, you know, five games a day. You, uh, and I don't even know how I could do that now. You know, like even one game would put me out, right? Right. We're doing like five games a day. Um, and, and it was one of my first encounters with uh, people, you know, south of like Virginia, like in, in the sports mm. world, right? Uh, AAU, I, you know, we always seem to go west or north or something, you know, and, and, and there would be a team from like, there's always like a team from Florida or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like we went down there and we were like, you know, we were like in a different world. And it's really not even that far now if you think about it, but we were like some basically inner city kids that went down there, our coach forgot our jerseys, right? Oh. We had to go to Walmart and, and get a marker, right? And, and cut off our t-shirts and make jerseys, right? How embarrassing. <laughs> oh man. So we go down there and we're playing teams that are like the North Carolina state champs and we're playing the Virginia, whatever, Central Virginia state champ. You know, we're playing all these like schools. They got like team buses driving them from their dorm rooms, right? To the, to the facility, you know, to the athletic facilities. We're walking or we're taking bum and rides from people. It was, just, <laughs> it was a crazy experience because, uh, you know, it was all set up kind of by mistake. We're all kind of patched together. Uh, there's kids from PG, Baltimore, everybody on our team that, you know, we're going to come to the school. And, uh, you know, we go down there, we do really well. So Coach uh, Wainwright, you know, he's the head coach of UNC, or was at the time, the head coach of UNC mm-hmm. Wilmington, uh, notices me. And uh, he asked everyone, you know, who, who's that? Uh, I was the only uh, Caucasian kid on the team. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm the starting point guard. He didn't think I would be like an Irish guy. Right. He's sure. like, who's, who's the little Puerto Rican kid on your team? And, and no one knew. Oh, right? Everybody's like, I think he's talking about somebody else for, for like three days. You know, they're like, man, he's, he's recruiting some Puerto Rican kid from Montgomery County. We're like, we're thinking in our minds, like, who do we play against? Who, you know? Right. And they're like, right at you because you have curly hair. I was like, oh, wow. Wow. Right. Like, how funny is that? Right. So I had no idea. I'm talking to the guy. He's like stopping, you know, how's it going? Have you ever seen our school? Let me show you these facilities, you know, like doing all this stuff. I'm talking to his assistant coaches. I have no idea. The guy even knows who I am. Right. Right. And uh, I played really well down there. And that kind of put me on the map. I, I started developing a little bit more as a human being. Right. And started getting a little bit more muscle. started getting faster. I never really gained any height, but uh, um you know, yeah, that was the school I, I figured I wanted to go to. It was near the beach. They were mm. D1. Um, I love the coach. I mean, he stayed in my ear, gave me, you know, letters, did all stuff. But going back to my high school, I ended up not playing my senior year. Uh, I, I forget what the coach did. He was really spiteful that I was considering transferring. I didn't transfer to Einstein. A couple of the other guys went back to their home schools and stuff. So really, mm. it was just like another AAU team, a travel team. Sure. Um, and, and it was a hell of an idea, but it didn't work out. Okay. Um, I didn't want to go and be the only person on that team and not know anybody in the school my senior year. So I was, you know, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to go. Um, so, uh, I think the one kid who stayed, Will McNeely, he was the leading scorer in the state of Maryland that year. Mm -hmm. Right. But I go back to my school, first day of school, the head coach, you know, comes up to me, say, man, you had a hell of a summer. I said, yeah, man. I was like, uh, worked my butt off, you know, did all the things like, well, I hope you're not coming out for the team this year because I'm not going to play. And I was like, I'm like, uh, okay, whatever. So uh, I made an effort. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know it was tough. It was tough, right? Cause I'm like, you know, I, it was a ballsy move for, for a kid to say, you know what? I'm not really getting along with you. I might just transfer <laughs> in right. public school, right? I mean, it, it, was a, right, right. It, it was a ballsy move, but I believe <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that that was one of the things, you know, that even today, like that shaped me because I worked so hard on my game, 
right? I would work hours and hours. That was my job in high school. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I work, I get up, I'd run a couple miles, I'd do 500 pushups, you know, I'm working on my ball and I'm getting a thousand shots up a day. Like I'm, that was my life, you know? Right. And I took it seriously. So, you know, it, when I knew there was not the best opportunity for me, I looked for others, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, uh, that, that did help shape me today, you know? Um, so sitting out my senior year, Coach Wayne Wright at UNC Wilmington is kind of like, well, you can't get right with your coach. What's going on? And didn't really understand mm-hmm. it. Uh, turns out he transfers to take over at DePaul. He's in the inner city of Chicago. He doesn't need that uh, Irish kid from Montgomery County anymore, right? Uh, sure. So I, I go walk on at Montgomery College. Uh, my high school uh, coach from AAU uh, gave me a recommendation because you can't just show up. <laughs> mm-hmm. You have to, you know, it's a little more organized than that. Um, yeah. And everybody there was like, you know, all county bad grades something you know there was there was an issue with somebody right like yeah i'm like well i just didn't play my senior year i'm trying to you know get off and i go there and i do really well um my first year i was averaging like a double double i was doing i was doing good right like uh i kept getting injured though and i'd Mm. never dealt with injuries in my entire sports career you know 20 years of playing organized basketball never had anything more than an ankle sprain or, you know, something that, you know, you put some ice on, you go back out there, had stitches, you know I mean? Stuff like that. But um, I kept getting shin splints and like, Mm. it was like the floor we were playing on or something. And then my knees started bothering me and stuff. It was like, man, I felt like I was my age now. Right. And uh, I made the conscious decision to stop playing basketball. It was hard. I mean, I cried and, you know, like I get, I still, you know, I'll still even today go with the right group of people, go out there and shoot around and play a game but I stopped playing competitive basketball and uh, oh my goodness. Yeah. That kind of uprooted my career plans. Um, yeah. What did that, know, what did that do to your psyche? I mean, you invested so much of yourself into it to, to walk away from it. That, that must've been incredibly hard. Yeah. Uh, it, there's nothing I can describe kind of that, 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 you know, that would be a parallel to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew who I was though, you know, like at that moment, I still knew who I was. Uh, I had to be a killer when I was on that court. You know what I mean? And I, I told myself then like, let's go be a killer in business. Let's figure out what we want to do. Um, it was, it was a hard couple months, like kind of afterwards, but I just knew that like, it wasn't gonna, it, it wasn't gonna work out well. Right. Like I was like, for some reason as an athlete, you know, your body better than anyone. Right. And you can go, you know, you can play through pain. You can play through, you know, all, I mean, you're dealing with adversity every bit of the way. I'm a, I'm five eight. I wasn't given any gifts. Like, I worked for everything I got, and, um, you know, I knew I knew who I was. I was a fighter. I was a tough person. You know, like I could deal with pretty much anything. You know, I was like at this point, you know, I just don't know what's going on with my body. It's just not holding up, and I never had to deal with that. And it was just, I don't know if you've ever had shin splints, but it is excruciating. I mean, you can't sleep. You know, like mm-hmm. it's. And it's something that just takes time and you have to ice, you have to heat and you just got to, you yeah. know, hope it goes away. It got better and it came right back. And then it, it like would go away for like a month and then it would come back and it would just mm. it one leg, then it'd be both. It was, it was awful. And uh, that kind of led me in a weird way. I met a guy there that led me to the hospitality industry yeah. in a strange, uh, in a strange sense. Uh, a guy I went to school with, uh, mm. he used to go to the games and stuff, but you know, it's, a guy I'd hang out with, you know, party with whatever. And he was like, yo man, like I'm making a bunch of money. I'm a, I'm a server at a TGI Fridays. Right. 
And I was like, oh, Fridays is cool. I was like, man, so you're like a servant? Like, <laughs> I didn't know what it was. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, so like, I don't know. It's like, that's kind of weird. Like, what do you, you know, you just bring like food to people. I mean, I've been to restaurants, but I mean, what's it like to be that? Like, right, right. And uh, I was a little bit privileged at this time, right? Like, like a little bit pampered athlete mentality. Uh, but uh, he, he was making, you know, you know, I don't know, thousand dollars a weekend or whatever, you know, you know, the money. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he was working on Rockwood Pike actually, right? Yeah. So uh, I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll consider it. So I go to like a job interview and do the whole thing. And then uh, I went through training at TGI Fridays and I was like, wow, they really have a system here. You know, like mm -hmm. uh, I don't really like marrying ketchups at the end of the night and things like that. I, you know, I thought right. it was a little ridiculous, but um, you know, I, I really liked the restaurant industry. There's a lot of girls, right? Yeah. So like that yeah, was fun, for sure. right? Um, <laughs> and then there was always a party, you know, it was always something fun to do and people had money in their pockets. And I was like, you know, I uh, kind of started there and I ended up at Timpano. Um, yeah, and I think that's where, that's, met, where you, right? that's where you yeah. and I met. Um, Timpano was definitely more of an upscale like yeah. concept. Um, and it's so I crazy how back then, like you really had to have experience and be good to get a job in a restaurant versus oh, yeah, like no. now there's so many restaurants, they just need bodies, right? <laughs> right. It, it, back then you had to, it was, it was a craft, you know, like, uh, yeah to have like the better sections and like to yeah. even get in the door, you had to have a baseline knowledge and, 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 you know, you know, just uh, most places uh, of that caliber, even would it uh, require prior experience, you know, you wouldn't yeah. just come in there. If uh, you know, you were Joe Schmo off the street, you were, you were going to be a busboy or a dishwasher right. or something. I mean, you're going to do something that, you know, proved a little bit of dedication and like, you know, yeah. like this guy's going to be on time. He's going to work hard. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, and, and, you know, we came in there, we're the smooth guys, we're the smooth talkers, right? We're selling the big bottles of wine, we're, you know, we're having competitions with each other. And I think that yeah. that helped me really cut my teeth, you know, like in business, because like, we'd have some pretty high end clientele in there and stuff. We and would. And just like randomly roll up to them and be yeah. like, hey, my name's Ray, welcome to Timpano, this is the fish of the night, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, you had to have the gift of gab a little bit, you had to be quick thinking and literally think on your feet. Yeah. Um, and I love the industry. You know, I yeah. went on, you know, to do a lot of things in the industry and it's still kind of, you know, dabble in it. But, um, you know, when it comes down to it, it's like I, I fell in love with that industry. And then uh, I, I know you kind of were at Timpano after me. Like, I, I believe I left. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I stayed and then I left and then I did end up going back. Um, and I went back when when the industry had started to thin out a little bit and i was actually able to bartend there right right because like you remember before the That's guys right. were there and unless yeah. they died like you weren't getting behind the bar right maybe as a those bar dudes, back those dudes yeah. were making like 150,000, 175,000 dollars a year you know, they're working five nights a week and they're just yeah. they're chilling you know they, yeah, they were that was the place life. to be for mm -hmm. sure well what i remember about you back then is like you were you were always tenacious right I mean, that was clear off, off the jump. Like you were a very cool guy and, and like you liked people, but like you were about business. You were always very, very serious. I remember that clear as day when we would get in into work, like you were about it. You were about getting your money, getting in there and, and, and really, really doing a great job taking good care of, of your, of your guests. I mean, yeah, I, I appreciate know, I, I'm, I can imagine the, that some of the lessons that you learned only continue to help you as you moved yourself, you know, on in the, in the career. Tell us a little bit about once you left Rockville, what you started doing with yourself. 
Well, to kind of wrap that that whole Rockville thing up, I, I became a corporate trainer for them. And uh, did you? I didn't remember that. Yeah. So I did a oh. lot of like the new hire onboarding and like okay. it was like an intro to management for me. Yeah. You know, it was like a very corporate structured uh, systems driven, uh, you know, program. So like I was able to train. I don't even know, at least 100 new oh. hires. Right. So that that kind of gave me a baseline for like, OK, I got these people's undivided attention for hours, you know, two, three hours. And, mm-hmm. you know, it also taught me how to be a little more charismatic right and a little bit more uh entertaining and have mm-hmm. a little bit of public speaking uh sure. awareness right yeah um so i i, I leave timpano because I, I think that uh at that point they had uh changed general managers a few times and um the new guy didn't like i, I didn't know why he didn't like me. i just got this weird vibe from it it was like high school basketball coach all over again right? <laughs> and it's uh his name was Trey and he was cool. I, like, you know, he and I were cool, but it's like, he just didn't like me. His wife was nice to me the night he came in to eat. Like she was like, Oh, you know, she was very friendly, not, not like overly friendly or anything, but I was just, you know, doing my job, like super nice to her. Like, Oh, sure. I'll get this for you. I'll tell you what, we'll go get you. You don't like that. We'll get you this. And, uh, and, and I don't think he liked that. His wife was like, was polite to me. I don't know. It was weird. After that, he just kind of had this weird thing that like, it was weird. Uh, I was always early. You know, like you said, I was, yeah. I was tenacious. I was there to eat, man. I mean, I'm not eating right. anything during my shift, but I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to make this money and I'm going to make sure people leave happy. Um, right. So I, I had some uh, other friends, right? Obviously in the industry, we have a ton of friends again, who kind of tapped me on the shoulder, say, Ray, what are you doing over there? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, uh, I've been there a few years. Um, I've had some really remarkable opportunities here, but they tapped me on the shoulder and they're like, you should be bartending, you know? Because look, man, I made a thousand dollars last night. I'm like, hmm, I made that this weekend, but <laughs> right. night, you know. So I'm thinking, you know, okay. And these guys are working three days a week. They're downtown, and I, I knew uh, a baseline of like bar knowledge. You know, I'd never really bartended, but yeah. like obviously, Timpano was a place that really, as a server, if you excelled, you 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 had like a bar knowledge. You had wine knowledge. You had, mm-hmm. you know, you know a you probably knew the top 20 drinks, how to make them. You just, you know, weren't doing it on a shift by shift basis. So <clears throat> I go to like an interview down at a place called um, 2K9. Do you remember that, that nightclub? I do, yeah, I right. do. So I was in like the, uh, like near Howard University. That mm-hmm. was uh, uh, definitely a different area than it is now, like off of Florida Avenue, right? So back yes. then uh, it was a, a really rough neighborhood and it looked like, I mean, I went down there and I'm like, whoa, like this isn't, right. you know, like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to come and go from this spot. Like, they're like, no, 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 come inside. So you come inside and then, you know, classic, you know, 20 years ago, DC nightclub outside's like a warehouse. You go inside, it's like being in this amazing mansion. It's shiny and it's like, you know, beautiful furniture and good looking people walking around. You're like, oh man, you know, I think that could fit in here. So, you know, I have an interview with this guy, Derek, uh, who was the owner still relatively young guy. He was really cool. And I had gone to this club a couple times with friends, um, you know, prior to this, just hanging out, right? Like on the weekend or whatever. And we're sitting in the VIP room uh, one night. It was my birthday and a bunch of people came out with me or whatever. And I had talked to this guy before my interview for like an hour that night. I, you know, kind of vaguely remember it, right? Mm-hmm. But th- now I'm sitting down in an interview and this is this guy. I'm like, whoa, right? All right. right. So a friend of mine, you know, recommended me. Um, I think you remember Mike Sosa, right? Mikey Sosa. 
Yeah. All right. So it was one of Sosa's friends who was a roommate of mine, right? So he's like, you know, go down there, blah, blah, blah. And I think at the time he was your uh, typical club promoter. Uh, he wasn't like in the, you know, operation side of anything. Right. I mean, he, this dude's handing out flyers, you know, he's mm -hmm. like bringing girls to the club. He's got a motorcycle, <laughs> like, you know, like all cliche, all, you know, <laughs> uh, typical, prototypical, what you would think of uh, as a club promoter back then. So he gets me this interview and I go in and I'm like, shit, I talked to this guy. I probably had, had a few drinks and I've already talked to him for a while, but he remembered me and I left an impression on him because I had pointed out a few things about his business um because he i guess he had led me into that part of the conversation um about like how security was kind of treating people right i was like mm -hmm. it's not really inviting i mean you're charging people 20 dollars to come in he's kind of yelling at people i mean it might be bad for your business and it, i didn't know that night he was going to be the guy i had to sit down with and he remembered yeah. that and he was like well your eye for like how things work would be why i would give you an opportunity despite your lack of experience behind the bar I was like, okay. So I went in there and I had my little nightclub experience and I expected it to be like restaurants and uh, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> right. it, like, it, there's not the same level of process. There's, I mean, I'm showing up at, uh, you know, their shift starts at, you know, 10 p.m. or something at night. Yeah. And uh, I'm showing up at eight to set things up and do all the stuff. No one's there. I'm there with the barbacks. You know, I'm like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm doing, I'm, I'm there because I'm thinking like, man, at eight o'clock, I'm probably late. I have anxiety. You know, I'm like, right. you know, I got like a perfectly ironed outfit on. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I, you know, I, I probably look like such a tool to these people. But I was cut from a different cloth, right? So like yeah. I go in there and, you know, slowly I learn, you know, they put me on like service bar and like things like that. And mm -hmm. I start learning, but I mean, I saw different things happening there, right? That that really sparked an interest in me. I saw celebrities coming and athletes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I saw Eminem. Eminem had an after party there. Like mm -hmm. I talked to him and, uh, you know, a couple of his boys for like, you know, five or 10 minutes, but this is like up in smoke Eminem. You know, it was right. like, this dude is, you know, he's still worldly, but I mean, it was like, I, I started developing uh, a curiosity for that stuff. Like, how did they, he know to come here? Like, wow. all right, yeah. I'm still learning how to bartend during this time, but I'm like, got an eye on this stuff. And I'm like, there's a lot of cash coming through here. You know what I mean? It's a liquid business. This thing looks, mm -hmm. I mean, this is, this is pretty good. So I got an opportunity uh, at the same time, again, someone taps you on the shoulder. Hey man, you're a good dude. You're a good worker. Like you should come with me to this other club. And I was like, well, I'm kind of happy here. You know, Derek likes me, you know, da, da, da. And they're like, well, Abdul, I don't know if you know who Abdul is. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody yep. out there, Abdul Canoe is a huge nightclub owner, uh, yep. responsible for some of the best uh, parties even today, you know, the city's ever seen. I mean, the guy shut down F Street one year and had a, uh, like an, like a block party with like Snoop and all these people, like Master P, like it's crazy. I mean, who does that? Who gets, right. How do you get that permit? You know, right. it's like, you know, <laughs> he, get, he gets it, right? So uh, there was this really upscale club he opened called uh, VIP, right? Mm -hmm. So that was like the thing. I mean, it's on the radio. And then yep. for those people listening who are like millennials or like radio, you know, right, um, right. <laughs> back then it was like, that was it though. Like you're in your car. You, like, you knew about the party. That's how you knew about party. And Friday yeah. night, Friday night, you gotta be there, right? So like, that was it, you know? So I was like, man, they, they got all this money behind promo. They got all these celebrities and athletes. Like we had some at the other place, which was bigger than what I came from in restaurants. You might have a mm -hmm. random NBA player sit down and didn't tip and you're like, sure. What? Right, right. You know, right. Jersey right. 
<laughs> but this, I'm going down there like my second night. It was like Allen Iverson's birthday party, Fat Joe, Ja Rule, yeah. everybody's in there. I'm like the, the bartender. I'm was like, the place. Oh, yeah. This is sick, you know? Right. Um, so I, I really enjoyed the entertainment side of it. Like, how did they get the promo? Who are the players behind this? How How mm-hmm. is this machine working? Right? Like, I'm making money behind the bar and everything's great because I'm, you know, I'm like 22 years old. Like, it's mm. like, you know, at the same time, it's like, I still like having, you know, those days now to do whatever I want to do. Yeah. I have like less responsibility, right? Yeah. Like, you know, um, in terms it's incredible of how curious you were at 22. So I'm many so people curious. at that age are just going through the motions. It even goes back to like when we talked about like watching my father's business, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how does he invoice? How does he get money from customers? Like, you know, like, and I'm so yeah. young, I don't know, you know, right. I'm watching him doing invoicing and, and balancing his books. And I'm like, all right, I'll go in there. And he, 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 uh, at the time had like some, I don't know, some very beta, <laughs> right. like, like graphic design program or something. And I'm making flyers for him, you know, wow. just out of curiosity, you know, I'm like, well, why don't we change this? This looks, this will look better. People will look at it. Like they'll be attracted to it. So mm. I don't know, I've always had a curious mind around business, uh, especially at a young age. And, uh, at that point in time, I'm making money, but I'm wondering, like, how do they get these guys to come here? Like, right. Allen Iverson could go anywhere in the world. Like, I mean, he's at the top of his popularity. Fat Joe has leaned back. Like, it's like the day right. it came out, right? Like, so I'm like, this is incredible. And the energy around it and everything, I was just like, man, the money around it, it was just, it was insane. And uh, I started talking to people more. You know, I'd come earlier, stay later. I mean, you know, I think you and I were always those kind of guys first in last out um and i started talking to people more not just you know come in hey how's it going the you know the nightclub dap and all that you know give you give you a high five to everybody even though you don't know them um but it was more about learning right so i get tapped on the shoulder again right and a, a friend says chris chambers which you might know very yeah. well chambers is in the real estate game yeah hey man you know my boy over here he runs a spot over by uh you know, the, uh, the, it was the Verizon center back then, I think, yeah. or MCI center, even, um, it was called insomnia. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, I heard of it, but it's more of like an international I'm dealing with like the hip hop community right. and, uh, you know, at 22, I'm all in, you know what I mean? Like put me in that, like, you know, like yeah. I love it. Um, but you know, he was dealing with like EDM and things like that. So I was like, you know, Friday is not as busy, uh, at uh, Insomnia, but it's busy. It's really busy at VIP. Let me work with the guy, Dean, who's like the GM and say, hey, why don't I take Saturdays uh, over at the other spot? And, you know, if you want, I'll work that one off night. No one wants to work for you. You know, like you have an Mm -hmm. 18 and up party or something. Like I'll just come in and pour cranberry juices. So you'll keep me on your schedule. I can still make money and I can go, you know, stick my foot into another opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I was like, let me, let me see what that game's about. Right. So I go over there with Chambers. Chambers ends up, you know, doing what Chambers does. He's kind of, you know, in there, he's out of there. He's, he's opening the restaurant. I don't know what he's doing. He's, he's a busy guy. He's, you know, he's right. a shaker. So I go over there and I come in and again, I'm put in that weird position where I don't really know the owners that well. I, I had a phone interview. They brought me in and we'll see how you do kind of thing. Um, and they give me this polo shirt that's like so heavy. I don't know what the material was. I was just like, <laughs> how am I going to bartend in this? It feels like, you know, a weighted like blanket, you know? <laughs> it's like, I'm going to sweat my, my ass off in this thing. And um, the guy comes up to me, he's a young guy. And he comes up to me and he's like, you know, he's a built young dude and he looks Italian. And he comes walking up to me and he's like, hey man, how do you like that shirt? 
And I was like, oh man, this is terrible. I don't know who thought of this. I mean, I don't know how we're going to bartend. And, and this dude taps me on my shoulders. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, what do you, what do you mean? What am I doing? And it was, uh, that was Ferris who runs a uh, greenhouse bistro in Tyson's, uh, who's a good, good friend. Uh, he was like a cousin of Michael Romeo. And that was Mike Romeo. He's like, dude, that's Mike Romeo. I was like, that's the owner. He's like a year older than us. Like he owns all of this makeup club. Right. Like, yeah. And then Mike kind of gave me a dirty, dirty look and walked away. And I was like, great. I'm probably going to be calling Dean back to get that Friday night or that Saturday night. <laughs> right. So, um, I got his attention though. Again, here you go. I, I was honest. Yeah. Uh, I thought practically and I voiced my opinion. It doesn't always get you everywhere, but in these scenarios, it, sure. it works. Um, <laughs> so I just did a, a pretty solid job for him. I again, came early, stayed late, um, took pride in my craft uh, and was honest with feedback and, and took direction well. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I was able to move on with Mike, who was, you know, only a couple of years older than us. And he, yeah. uh, he's another Montgomery County, uh, you know, guy, he, he went to Wheaton high school. Um, yeah. of course I, I didn't know anybody from Wheaton. I knew like one dude, right. but, um, he, he had gone to Wheaton and, uh, I think we had had one conversation around it and he's like, Oh, that's cool. And I think I, we, you know, it's the nightclub business. We knew some of the same people and he's like, you know, I'm getting ready to open a new spot. He's like, uh, I think you should come with me, uh, get rid of all the other stuff you're doing. And, uh, you know, I'm gonna open this place. It's going to be called fur nightclub. Mm. And I was like, that's what you want to name it. Like fur, like, and he was like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's like, it's like fur. <laughs> and he like touched his shoulder and the whole thing. And I was just like, Oh my God, this guy, but I loved him. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he was like a big brother. He was like, he was like, I don't even know how to explain it. He's like ultra successful, but it was like, we were all living in that moment of his success at the same time. Cause it was yeah. new, right? It was, right. The success was relatively new to him. You know, like mm -hmm. he had done well in like the promoting game, but like, as like a venue owner, like he was still figuring it out, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, he, he, but he was great. He was a great guy. So I really liked Mike. And I said, you know what, Mike, I'm going to follow you to fur. Right. I mean, this dude had taken me to his office, showed me the blueprint, show me the, the you know, Look, it's it's in Northeast DC, mm. which is perfect. And I'm I go over there again. It's a warehouse. Search right. quarters across the street. There's gunshots. Yep. I'm like Mike, what are you doing down there? You know what I mean? There's 45 crackheads across the street, and it's eight in the morning. Like, how are we gonna run a nightclub over here? He's like, trust me. So you know, I I wait for all the construction to happen and do all that stuff. In the meantime while we're waiting that you know that weird six months for permitting and all that mm -hmm. construction and all this stuff where it's just really no communication nothing's really changing i uh started booking bands and djs at local bars because mm -hmm. i had a friend that had a need and, and you know i was like well that's pretty low level entertainment compared to you know what the hell i'm doing now but or even what i was dealing with on the weekends but i was like not gonna handle that you know whatever so i'm throwing some mm -hmm. bands and there, some cover bands and you know doing different things and then i end up uh you know, doing some of the things I learned from the promoters at nightclubs. And I, I got a, a beer sponsor and mm. I got a, you know, my first sponsorship, right. was with like right. uh, Miller light and they printed out my banners and my flyers. And I mean, it was no money, but they did, they did that. Right. right? And then they uh, donated, I think some products. So like we could do uh, a special, like, so if somebody came and paid the five bucks to get in, you know, they got that, that beer or whatever. Um, sure. But I set up my first corporate sponsorship you know, not even really knowing what I was doing. Right. Right. And, uh, I, I had a battle of the bands 
and uh, mm. and uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. So like, uh, I don't know if, if you're from Rockville, they they had a band, a bunch of the guys from Houston's restaurants had a band called West Side Hero. Mm. Okay, so a girl I was dating at the time, her sister was dating the drummer, right? So it was like you know throw them in there or whatever, right? I'm like you know they're gonna bring a bunch of like industry people out, why not? You know. And it turns out they ended up winning the Battle of the Bands. There was like 20 bands in it. They wow. won a, I don't know what the prize was, a couple thousand bucks or whatever. It was like 70% of whatever the door take was. And then mm -hmm. I kept the other 30 um, for like administrative fees, right? Right, right. And, uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed it because, you know, we developed at that point like an email list, uh, a text blast, right? So like everybody coming in, we'd have them sign up and tell them about our new events. So <clears throat> I started developing a promotional wheel and um, understanding sponsorship and, uh, and, and, and that whole deal and how entertainment really drives numbers. But when yeah. West Side Hero won, I realized, you know, there, not only was it by like, you know, vote and all that stuff, but like, you know, I realized that like, wow, like, you know, that band's really put the ass in seats, right? And, and their music was good. You know, mm -hmm. I, we dabbled with the idea of me managing them for a while and then fur opened and that was over, you know? Mm -hmm. um, now, did you realize that you were becoming a marketer through all this, right? Uh, like yeah, you, I mean, you were learning I, all these skills. You were, you were becoming a like learning, learn. You were in the school of life, right? Learning right. all these incredible skills. I, I was a bartender. They let uh, from around the bars. What happened? <laughs> you yeah. know, like it. It really was just something that I enjoyed uh, getting people to come out. You know, and I think that's yeah. something that when you're in the industry, you do naturally, right? Like, right. You want people to come out and see. You want people to you know, uh, you know, enjoy their time with you. So, I mean, um, I had a little bit of fire that was uh, lit there. Right. And I go to fur and I'm still just bartending at this point in time as we open. And it's like the first five days were like Tiesto. Like if anybody knows EDM music is like the biggest EDM DJ in yeah. the world. And you drop them in any major city in the entire, on the globe, the dude's selling out. Right. Like mm -hmm. the guy's Michael Jackson behind you know, turntables. I didn't even know what he looked like. I was just like, oh, right. man, that's him. Like, cool. You know, 5,000 people, you know, for at six bars held, you know, like 5,000 people. And it was, it was a mega club. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> Mike really did it right. He designed it and put a bunch of money into it. So it was like still was upscale, but it's this huge place. And it was in the middle of, you know, probably one of the worst neighborhoods in all of DC. But that means you can get away with, you know, people being out in front of the club, throwing up in the street because no one cares. Right. Because it's right. just, it's, it's a desolate area. No one's around. So right. um, anyhow, uh, again, I'm at this age, uh, I'm, I'm probably 23, 24 years old, and I have a little bit of nightclub experience, and I'm starting to meet promoters and other movers and shakers in that industry. Turns out Saturday nights, the night I was working on Insomnia, I had like the promoter's bar tab, right? Because they trusted me not to give away all their liquor to the promoter promoter was Antonis. Uh, if anybody knows where Antonis is, he was the owner of Echo Stage. Mm. Uh, I mean, what, Ultra Bar. Yeah. Uh, he owns like five or six clubs around the city, still like still killing it to this day. Right. Uh, he would do, you know, all the big parties, like, you know, international parties at any club. I mean, I was like, I mean, he was, he was a mega promoter. So I got to meet Antonis and I had a personal relationship with him. Didn't even know what I was doing with that relationship, but it turns out he was the guy bringing us uh, all of those big DJs, right? He and his partner, Pete, uh, were the booking machine and the marketing machine mm -hmm. behind all of that stuff at Fur. They were the, the, the promotional group that did, uh, what was it called? 
Saturday nights were, uh, I don't know, the, their brand, uh, but mm -hmm. they ran for 20, it was called Glow, is what it was. And oh, Glow, I do remember yeah, that. Yep. He owned Glow, right? That was his baby, right? right. So like, um, mm -hmm. I got to meet the owner of Glow when it was, you know, you know, just starting kind of. And uh, these guys were so great at marketing. It's like when they have an event, they bring out thousands of people. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, it was just interesting. And then I was introduced to a whole different kind of music, you know, with EDM and, mm -hmm. and house music and things, you know, all those different, there's so many different genres there, but uh, the artists that they would bring. And I'm just like, this is incredible, you know? And I started, you know, being curious again and, you know, going to some of their other events and stuff like that. And, and learning more about like what Pete did as like a booking agent and Tonus running like the marketing side and how they had digital marketing and how they had, um, <clears throat> you know, text message blasts before like, you know, when people first started texting, they're like, you get all these texts on your phone and it's like, they understand how to do all that stuff way ahead of everybody. They were always ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, this is incredible. And I, uh, very short time into fur within like six months was uh, promoted to like bar manager, right? Um, about three months after that, I was the assistant GM and then, you know, never looked back. I was the GM and I was running the whole show, uh, in terms of operations. Right. Um, now how old were you at this point? Maybe 25, 25 years old. And you're the general manager of fur nightclub that was probably doing how much volume a year? $16 million a year. $16 million a year. Yeah. And I, I think the first night I, I was promoted to like like manager too. It was like, I looked like an NBA draft pick back then. I had like the bag too, you know what I mean? Right, right. I didn't yeah, even know what to wear. That was the style back then though. Yeah. I look like, I look like in the Cleveland Cavaliers with the number three pick, <laughs> you know? So, uh, you know, it was crazy. It was like my third night there, we had Tiesto as, as a manager. And it was like, the it was, it was insane, you know? And I, and I never looked back, but I told myself I was scared to death, right? Cause like sure. people just kept coming in. There's so many people outside. I mean, it's like the bars eight deep, like, you know, I mean, bartenders probably made four or five grand that night. Like it, it's insane. We had, you know, 60 bottle service tables and like, you know, wow. we were on the radio yelling back and forth. We're doing all the stuff. And I was like, man, if I can make it through tonight, you know what I mean? Like I, I didn't know I was overwhelmed at times, you know? And I, sure. I was literally like, uh, if I can make it through tonight, and I knew it, like there's the athlete in me, there's everything. I was like, if I can make it through tonight, I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna be something in this. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. gonna be bigger than just, it was hard as hell to get a bartender job as a guy at a nightclub back then, you know? Oh yes. But I, but I did that, you know? And then I was like, you know, to become a manager, you had to be related to one of these guys. Like it weren't right. just, letting, just too much cash rolling around for them just to be like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna pick this guy. Like they don't, right. you know, there's, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars worth of cash laying around. You know what I mean? They're not, they're not doing that, you know? So, and back then it was like, if you had cameras, you were like super advanced, you know, right. it's like, you had to really, you know, you know what you're doing. So, um, I got thrust into that. So now I'm dealing with promoters on top of bartenders, on top of barbacks, on top of, uh, security guards, on top of, you know, all walks of life that, that, uh, you know, frequent nightclubs. Mm -hmm. Um, and I never looked back though. I mean, I was, I was at work every holiday. I was at, at work every weekend. I think for like six years while I was the GM at Fur, I didn't take uh, a, a real vacation uh, the whole time. Um, wow. You know, I, I had my days off, which is normally like a Sunday and Monday. Mm -hmm. And once in a while, they'll sprinkle a Tuesday in there. And uh, I'd take off to Miami or Vegas or do something every once in a while. And 
you know, I lived that life a little bit, but I was making all kinds of money. You know, I was, uh, I was definitely well connected in the city, but again, I was like, you know, how do I get to the point of, you know, how are we dealing with these artists and how are they coming in and how much they cost? And, you know, then I started seeing contracts and I started seeing this stuff and seeing DJs making a hundred thousand dollars in the night. I'm like, what the, you know, like but it, <laughs> right. the, the business model worked, you know, it yeah. worked. I mean, you know, they, they would have pre-sale tickets and I just started watching their ticketing, uh, how, how they would do it. And, um, you know, cause I had to manage it, you know, I'd manage the back end of it. I may, may not have been in the front, but I got a very fast track education. And again, that's, you know, I always put Mike Romeo down, um, as one of my mentors. Cause I mean, he had his hand on my shoulder and, and, and whispering in my ear the whole time, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was, he let me do what I had to do and he let me fail at times, but like, you know, right before I really wiped out, he'd be like, all right, up, let's do this. We're fixing this. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, those early stages of my career, I knew that, you know what, I didn't want to let him down, you know, and, and beyond that, um, I knew he wouldn't let me fail. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it was like, mm -hmm. when you have that kind of, that kind of love and, and support and passion with somebody, like, I mean, you just, you know, it'll never change. You know, like I, that dude is, it, you know, I still talk to him randomly and just, mm -hmm. you know, he, he was never surprised with where, where I took my business and things like that, you know, but. Yeah. Isn't um, it interesting how, how you meet that person in your life and they see something in you that maybe you haven't seen yet? Well, he gave me other opportunities. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he gave me other opportunities. He opened, uh, at one point, Mike was like the king of DC nightlife, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was with him early on, MRG, um, Michael Romeo Group is what, you know, the company was. We opened uh, Lotus on K Street. I was a managing partner there for four years after that. I mean, he let me grow with the business too. So I went to the more adult, you know, at more conducive to wherever my age group was. And mm -hmm. for, you know, the mega club turned out to be more of like an 18 and up kind of thing after a while. And I'm, you know, now I'm on K Street at an exclusive lounge, you know, a block from the White House, mm -hmm. you know, crushing it, you know, doing, you know, Steve Aoki in a room that holds, you know, 500 people. And I had the chain smokers there early on mm -hmm. before they were the wow. chain smokers, you know, <laughs> I mean, we were bringing DJs from New York and LA and doing all that stuff. And I, I'd grown so much and, and learned so much about artists and, 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 and what our market needs. And, you know, I was one of the first people in DC nightlife to really focus on pop culture, you know what I mean? As opposed to like, you know, the spectrum of being like, you know, all the way, you know, doing like hardcore hip hop or like EDM on the other end of the spectrum or whatever you want to call it international. Mm -hmm. I was the one kind of like, you know, what's, what's the, where's the MTV stuff at? Like the mashup stuff. Where's the, you know, we're going to play some hip hop. So the girls are dancing, but we're going to play some EDM so we can, you know, sell these bottles. You know what I mean? Right. So um, it was, it was cool. You know, like at that point, uh, and, and I don't know if anybody listening will resonate to what nightclubs are because it's been a year uh, since they opened their doors. But um, back then you had to, you had to know someone to get in, right. you had to be someone and you had to dress right. You know what right. I mean? I mean, I, you, you weren't getting in. I don't care who you were. If you, if you weren't dressed right, good night. Yeah, you know what I mean? I remember. So uh, it was definitely a cultural thing. You know, and um, I remember when bottle service hit, like now bottle service is like mandatory, right? Like everybody's right. like, it's, it's, I remember when bottle service was a brand new thing. We had to develop that model, you know, like yeah. having that conversation out front of why you want to sit down, you know, instead of just going to the bar and, um, you know, how, how do you make that, that machine work and, and multiply and, 
and how do you make that work without it getting sloppy and people drinking, you know, uh, two bottles worth of liquor, right? Right, right. You have to have the right mix there with everything. (laughs) So like, you know, we were able to perfect that. Um, And I learned a lot about, again, about ticketing, uh, artists, booking, management, uh, you know, Using oh, at, 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 uh, I'm also like HR and payroll, right? So, right, right, right. You know, I'm doing all those things. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, it, it, it definitely cut my teeth as a businessman, you know, I mean, yeah. I had to fire people that I really liked. I mean, I fired a lot of people in that industry. I mean, I'll tell you, it's like, you know, I, I had a lot of friends cause people, like you said, enjoyed hanging out with me outside of work, but mm-hmm. at work I was tenacious, you know what I mean? I'm yeah. still that way. Uh, I, I, I'm a little more understanding cause of my age, I think and experience, but you know, mm-hmm. as a 25 year old manager, like you do something to me once, that's the last time, you know, like right if i tell you one one time to do something and you just blatantly don't do it like i blatantly will fire you <laughs> like it's, right you know, i was right. that guy i was just not gonna i was not gonna let anybody get in the way of everyone else's success yeah. um and i wasn't gonna be responsible for that either like i will not be responsible for you limiting the this project success i will not let yeah. it happen while i'm in charge like, again so so mature at 25 years old i mean it's it would be in that industry with your friends and all of the possibilities for things to go wrong to be able to keep your composure and and see through all the clouds i mean i i i couldn't imagine me at 25 years old being around all that alcohol women celeb i mean it had to have been really hard. Yeah, man. I mean, there was times where I wasn't, (laughs) you know, um, I'm no angel. Uh, but I, I was always too busy to be like, you know, too far like gone or anything, you know, like, um, one of the things I would teach promoters, there's a lot of promoters who, you know, I mentored in the game who became nightclub owners or venue Mm -hmm. owners and stuff like that. And we still, you know, continue that mentorship today. It's like, look, you're going to come in this door, right? You're 20 years old, all your, or 22 years old. All your friends want to come out. Like five years from now, your friends aren't going to call you every Friday, Saturday. They're going to start getting married. They're going to get serious about their mm-hmm. careers. You're at the age where like, literally you could send a text to a friend. It's like having a house party in high school. It's you open the doors, it's going to fill up. Right. So you got to make a decision today, right? You're going to make a decision whether you're going to monetize that or you're going to be popular, right? You want right. to, you want to have women in your life, whatever. And there's 75 to 80% of the people immediately fall into the girls and being cool. And then they never really capitalize on it. Yeah, they bring people to the club and they drive the needle for a couple months and they get a couple bottles and they get a couple girlfriends and they, you know, they do that thing, but they never really made money on it because they weren't focused on the money. You know, they never really saw how to harness it. And the, and the ones who had their radars up and listened to me, cause I was like, look, I was your age. I came in this game, they gave me the keys to the place, you know? And they're like, what? Like, no, yeah, you, yeah. Like grown men listen to me. I mean, I've had people, you know, it was, it was kind of embarrassing being that young and being that uh, that responsible because 
you know, if something happened, they'd be like, bring, bring the manager. This is unacceptable. Like, you know, somebody gets thrown out of the club for acting fool or something and they spend a bunch of money, right. bring your manager here. And I walk up and they're like, no, go get me the real manager. I'm like, actually, excuse me, ma'am. I'm actually in charge of all the managers. Right, right. <laughs> what does your dad own this place? No, <laughs> no, right. unfortunately he doesn't because if he did, I would be like a Kardashian and uh, not working. <laughs> So, um, yeah, a lot of times people didn't want to take you seriously until they really knew who you were. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it definitely garnered a lot of, uh, attention, sometimes unwanted attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you were receptive to that attention, it was fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was, it was definitely cool. Uh, you definitely have your guardrails up though, because in that scenario, you become somebody who's important to other people sometimes for the wrong reasons. Mm. Um, it's not necessarily business because, uh, it's a very social business where you might go support, uh, or go, you know, go to another venue. That's not something you're in charge of. And people are like, Oh, look, who's here, blah, 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 blah. And you appear as so important to people. Um, and you don't understand that, you know, you don't understand how to keep your guardrails up that these people are not your friends. You're the guy they're opening the ropes for. So they want to be with you, right? Like everybody wants to be around mm. somebody who's important, you know, especially at that age. Um, sure. so I realized all the hangers on, um, you know, at first it was kind of cool. I was like, you know, like a little Allen Iverson walking up to the park with like 20 of my boys and they're like, Oh, open it up, give them some <laughs> bottles, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, it's pretty cool. But I realized really quickly, none of those dudes were my friends, you know, like those girls, yeah. I didn't want anything to do with them. I was, I was Friday night, you know what I'm saying? And, and it was fun, you know, for a little bit, but like, you know, you dial back in and you say, you know what, this is not, I'm. I'm running these places and I might have a little equity now because I'm good at what I do and I'm taking on all this responsibility, but you know, I want to take it further. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and I realized at that moment kind of kickstarted to the, where I developed my company, 1AM management is uh, I would go out and, you know, some of these huge nightclub owners would be in my ear saying, Hey, you got 50 cents number. Didn't y'all just book them at the, the club mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I got you. Let me do a little introduction. I got you. I'll set it up for you. You know, and they're buying you drinks and everybody's friends and this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And I look over, they make a hundred grand at night. And mm-hmm. I'm still at my club doing my thing and I'm doing fine. I'm making a ton of money. I'm happy. You know, I'm still mm-hmm. a cool young guy. And then it happens again. You know, hey, do you have this DJ? Or, hey, did you have a contact for this guy? And I'm doing stuff mm-hmm. for promoters now and I'm doing this and doing that. I, at the beginning, I thought that's, you know, it's kind of how it was. It's kind of like a, being like a mafia guy. You know, you're rubbing shoulders, you're doing things for people, they're doing them for you. And uh, I realized how much money they were making. So I'm thinking back mm-hmm. in my mind, all these conversations I have with these young guys coming into the game and, and how you're not supposed to, you know, just be a cool guy, right? Like you need to monetize, right. you need to think about it. Like this thing only happens one time. Everybody yeah. gets a chance at it. Everybody gets a chance. If you're serious and you can get in there, everybody gets a chance. Everybody's the hottest. Everybody has the best Friday night. Everybody has the best Thursday night. It's, mm-hmm. it's the people who monetize it and lock in and build that team that uh that consistently went right so i i realized that what i was doing and i said you know what it's probably gonna piss mike off but i'm gonna start my own business and i'm gonna i'm gonna allow people to book i'm basically gonna give people access to my recipe right like sure like i'll do it first so we win but after that i'm gonna book you know whoever it may be who's hot it could be a rapper it could be whoever I'm going to do that and I'm going to make a commission on that too. Right. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like it at first. Like, you know, so here's big bro. I'm sitting there talking to him about my ideas and stuff and he blows it off. He's like, it's a terrible idea. Why would you help somebody else? I mean, you put money in their pocket. Like 
you got a piece of the pie here. Like, why would you do it? I'm like, well, that's hundred percent of my pie. <laughs> Right. right. Like, and, right. and I'm doing like, little did you know, I'm already doing it. You know what I mean? I'm friends with right. these people. They're looking at me. It's like, if you called me, you ran a club and you said, Ray, you know, I noticed last month you had Ja Rule or you had Eminem or whatever. Could you put me in touch with them? I'm just, I got you. Man. You know, you're my, my guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you go and make a hundred grand. You know, I could have made 20 grand on that transaction. Like, sure. why would I not take that 20%? You're eating. I'm eating. Everybody's happy. Good business. Let's go get a drink. You know what I mean? Um, right. So I started 1AM management and everybody's like, why the fuck did you call 1AM? That's like, it doesn't even mean like you're booking anybody. It doesn't mean you're producing events. I was like, really? Really? What's the best time to go to a nightclub? Right. When does the artist walk in the door at a nightclub? 1AM. Right? Yeah. So if you know, you know, and that's what it was about. And that's how I birthed 1AM and I started doing DJs and, uh, little bookings for people. And then all of a sudden I'd have uh, like an entire calendar for promoters in the city, right? Like my boy Canal who ran Nightlife Agency. Um, he did mm-hmm. a bunch of yeah. well. So he was like, here's my, you know, here's the Google doc, filling all your little, your, your guys. And I had all the little, the little uh, DC DJs jump on the label and wanted to be a part mm-hmm. of it. And it was like, I was just doing everybody's book. It was like, all right, you're doing Thursday at uh, Lima. And then now you're going to go over here. And now I'm, now I'm doing stuff all over the city. Right. I'm still, you know, mm-hmm. at this point, I think I'd help, help Mike open a dirty bar, dirty martini. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told him, you know, I was, you know, thinking about getting out of operations, you know, for a while. And like, I was, yeah. I was starting to party again. And like, I'd met my, you know, my wife and we were dating is, my wife's a serious person and you know she's a serious professional and she's she likes a night out but she's not a big partier and you know right. what i mean like i'm starting to kind of change so i like being at the end of the business i'm in now where i can you know still bring entertainment pop up have a good time but like you know i'm i'm gone i'm not like stuck in that those four right. walls so anyways 1 a.m kicks off and uh we build our first website and everything's great and we thought we were hot shit because you could see our Twitter feed on our website. <laughs> you know what I mean? Somebody would like tweet and it's like, oh, look, it comes across. Like, hey, tweet something and see what it says. Like, so being like little kids, you know? <laughs> so like, we were really excited about the launch of our website and we had like, you know, the fancy nightclub website launch party with like the, mm. I brought my boy PS1 down from New York. And uh, mm. and then I think uh, he and uh, Jason Smith came down actually. Jason Smith was a gym class heroes DJ. Okay. Um, you know, so anybody knows Travis McCoy or Gym Class Heroes mm-hmm. or whatever. So we had them come down and they did a, they did a, you know, like a night, everybody, it was a great party. And it was like, you know, this whole thing. And uh, we thought, you know, my buddy and I, we thought we were hot shit, you know, it was hundred percent my company, but you know, he was kind of like my quote unquote partner. Like he had no equity right. or didn't put any money into it, but he worked with me. And, uh, right. You know, he was more on the technical side of things, but um, you know, we thought we were pretty cool at that point. Um, you know, we're doing something right. Like, like this is all us. And, uh, and it, it, it was a great fun. website. It's awesome. Has it morphed over the years? Yeah, we're, we're going on to uh, version three. We're actually redoing it right now because obviously oh, wow. you know, with COVID, we're yeah. not doing concerts. We're not doing nightclub events. Like the, mm-hmm. the traditional stuff for 1 a.m. right now is, you know, it's, it's technically, it's, it's forbidden, <laughs> right? right? So right. Uh, we've actually taken this time to kind of take a step back and we get to like relaunch this thing again, right? Okay. So although we have all the contacts, we have all the experience and all that stuff now, it's, uh, we get to relaunch again, which is actually, I wouldn't have said I wanted to do that, but it's kind of fun to think about, I get to relive those moments again. Mm. Um, so with 1am, you know, 
we ended up doing some concerts, a lot of stuff. And then on the website, and this was a huge mistake. Uh, and this is where people who don't understand the entertainment business and things like it's, it's really funny because uh, we had a button on there that said, you know, click on this and book a celebrity, right? So it, give, it prompt us for your email stuff, right? Mm. So I would get like 20 to 25 emails a day. How do I get Kim Kardashian to come to my birthday? How do I get you know Kanye West to come to my Sweet 16 and all this other stuff? And there, if you remember, there was a market for Sweet 16s because of MTV, right? Yeah. So people were like, oh, get him to come. you know. Uh, and, and it's going to be Thursday. Uh, it's going to be two Thursdays from now. And that's like, all right, first off, that is not how it works, right? And secondly, what makes your weird ass think Kim Kardashian's going to go to your house. Like, right, right. <laughs> like, like, like it's not happening, buddy. Like, I don't care how much money you have, unless you're, unless you're uh, a prince from Dubai, it ain't happening, bro. You right. know what I mean? So uh, I would get all these crazy emails and it was like the, the, I realized that people, it's not normalized that like, you know, what entertainment is and celebrity is and things sure. like that. And, and when you throw numbers at people, they don't understand it. I mean, you know, you want, um, young thug to come through and do a walkthrough you're, it, it's going to cost you an escalate you know what i mean right. like it's it's hard money i mean these guys don't work for free right and, and you have to understand true market value and you have to understand availabilities and and non-competes and i mean it's i mean you get into a little bit of contract writing and understanding mm. and, wow yeah i mean it's it, it blossomed pretty quickly but um i would get a lot of weird emails and i'm sure yeah yeah, it's like, uh, no, I'm sorry, we, we don't, that's not what we do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, I guess from there, uh, you know, we produced a couple smaller concerts. Yeah. Um, and then I got a call. I remember, I, I, won't, I won't ever forget it. I was planning my wedding with my wife, right? And we'd been going at it for a while, like, you know, pretty hard for like a month. We were checking out venues, going through all this crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you just get burnt out a little bit, right? So I was like, you know, hey, that new NWA uh, movie's coming out. I want to go see it, you know? And, mm -hmm. and Trish is like, she's the, you know, the pretty girl listening to house music, you know, like, but she's she's cool. She's like, all right, you know, she's a West Coast chick. So she's, yeah. You know, let's go check it out. So I go to, I remember going to that movie and coming out and I had like 12 missed calls from one of my friends who lived in Cali and uh, like some random numbers. And it was just like, within like a 30 minute span and you know i'm in the movie so i had kind of an unwritten rule with my wife because i was always on my phone that you know when we go to a movie or dinner i just let her hold my phone just put it in your purse because mm -hmm. i'm gonna be on it you know like i right. I'll, i'm gonna glance you know how it is and and she's yeah. so she easiest thing here just we put it in your purse and then that way i'm not even gonna think about to our time you know we want i'm kind of out of jail when i get when right. i get out of the venue or walk into the car it's like oh yeah do you have my phone and it's like <laughs> And, uh, you know, it, my phone was going crazy. So she's like, what is going on? I was like, I don't know. Um, let me, uh, we'll just get home or whatever. And, you know, I'll, I'll check it out. So a uh, friend of mine, Steve Clayton, he actually grew up in Montgomery County, moved out to California. He was doing a lot of concerts, but on the production side, like light mm. sound and like that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and he called me and he said, hey, man, this guy's doing a, a, a music festival and he wants you to book well, he needs somebody to book all the artists. And I'm like, in LA? And he's like, yeah, you're in the entertainment capital of the world and you can't find, you mean, you could you could drive to the booking agencies. Like you could right. drive to William Morris, you could drive to their to their offices. Live Nation is right there. You know, you mm -hmm. can't miss it, you know? Uh, so I, I was a little skeptical. Um, I, I schedule a, you know, a conference call with those guys. 
and there's this guy Iman um who definitely reminded me of like like he he lived in Calabasas he was definitely from a different cloth you know what I mean he was mm-hmm. definitely highly educated but you could tell like he he you know mom and dad had some money or somebody had some money right and uh he's like you know I tried to fill him out and he's just so excited he's talking on the phone it reminds me of like just a young guy again like one of those emails almost you know like mm-hmm. like I want this and I need this and I'm, I'm doing this and I got that and and I need this done in a couple of weeks and I'm like uh all right so I'm like what's what's back up let's establish a contract let's get a deposit in you know because you're talking crazy numbers here mm-hmm. and let's um let's lay out some expectations, right? Like I, I have expectations too, you know, like I, I hear you have all this money and you're doing all the stuff and you want this done now. Great. You know, but like, that's not how, again, how any of this works. Like you got to get on the phone, you got to send emails, you got to figure out who's even available and you're doing them in a short, a short window. Um, so I didn't know what I was getting into, right? Like I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I was like, this guy's, you know, he's very aggressive. He's a very aggressive client. He's a young guy. He's got, you know, he's throwing around these numbers. I mean, it could be total BS or, I mean, you know, this could be something completely different. So yeah. uh, as I get to my, just do my discovery with this guy and, you know, he's sending me proof of funds and he's putting down a deposit and signing a contract at 1am to do all their, you know, their talent buying and, and booking all their artists for this guy's festival. I find out it's one of the first cannabis festivals in California. Oh, wow. So I'm like kind of skeptical still. Cause I'm like, all right, I know that like that they were like one of the, the Colorado and Cali were like the first two to go medical. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and I'm like, you know, is this thing going to get shut down? Is this dude like a drug dealer? Like, what's going right. on? you know what I mean? Like, is it worth, is it worth, uh, is it worth like pursuing? You know, I was like getting nervous. Like I go out there and like the whole thing gets busted. Is that going to ruin my company? You know what I mean? Like, right. so I had to do some due diligence and learn about the cannabis laws there. Right. And, uh, turns out, uh, you know, we ended up booking the whole show. We had Ty Dollar Sign, Game. It was very West Coast. It was like all West Coast shows. So mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think who else was on there. I mean, we did 14, 15 artists. Uh, wow. A partner of mine, who I teamed up with this guy, Caleb Branch, who runs Money Power Respect Entertainment um, mm-hmm. out of Phoenix. A guy who, you know, we've done shows with like Mac Miller and like some other cool guys in the past. Um, I teamed up with him because we had to basically work uh, – in concert together like in unison to book all these artists because there's no way one person could do it in that amount of time so uh, he was the only dude i knew good enough to do it right i was like he's a he's a freaking machine like i'm gonna bring caleb on the project so i brought him on um and we just went nuts with it i mean we got turned down so many offers like uh because it was such short time frame we were trying to get like yg snoop and like all these guys Mm. none of them none of them can do it like it's like you know clients getting frustrated so we ended up bringing game on it which he was happy you know game and i'm like you know i always like game back in the day with like the g unit thing but i was like is he Mm -hmm. you know i mean is he that relevant now because i'm like still kind of like nightclub guy like you know who's popping right this second you know kind of thing so right um we get him on it ty dollar sign i think kid inc uh who just came off tour with chris brown um rj who's like dj mustard's uh artist and then we you know we sprinkle in you know kind of everybody else um go out there and, and, and you know fly out to lax and you get there and it's like, I'm still kind of skeptical about 
like what's going to take is it going to be like atf or fbi who's going to raid the place <laughs> so it was at a fairgrounds that they built out right they took up fairgrounds and they built out this whole area of like you know vendor tents and like uh all these experiences and breakouts mm. for uh like the cannabis industry right and then there's like um you know, huge area with like foods, food trucks and concessions. And it's like, it's in December, mind you. Right. But it's in, it's in Southern California. So it's like 72 during the day at night. It's like maybe 68 with a little breeze It's beautiful. Right. So I'm mm -hmm. like, this is actually pretty fun. Cool. Right. So you get out there and, you know, I bump into my buddies doing the production side of things and how's everything going. Everything's great. Blah, blah, blah. Everything on schedule. Yeah. And we're touring the whole facility, going through stuff that, you know, you couldn't do on Zoom or whatever. And we're walking mm -hmm. through all this stuff. And, and I'm like, man, this is a, uh, people are going to come to this. Like it's at a, it looks like Montgomery County Fairgrounds. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, but, but they had like an aircraft uh, hangar where like the inside concert was going to be. Right. So like uh. you go in there and it's like, all right, this is a concert, right? Like this is my world. Mm -hmm. So we go in there and we do great. Um, you know, like like the day the show comes, every all the artists are showing up on time. Everything's cool. Everybody's getting paid. Everybody's on schedule. The, I think uh, eighteen or nineteen thousand people end up attending that concert, and it wow. was on World Star because uh, Games Manager just hit this guy, punched a guy like the day before named Stitches, some rapper or something, <laughs> and it was like this big. It went viral, so we had like over a million views. Uh, right. And still the whole time I was like dumbfounded because, you know, growing up, yeah, people smoke weed and stuff, but like I'm around 500 vendors of Cali weed. They have endless amounts of like high grade marijuana wow. and yeah. people are literally going to a tent after they pay their admission to get a prescription <laughs> to get a med card. They're like handing out med cards right there. I was like, this is insane. Mm. Um, so that was my first introduction to not only uh, entertainment within California, you know, like, like doing a show there. Yeah. And I actually dealing with all the West Coast artists and stuff. And I'm not gonna lie, when I met Game, I thought it was pretty cool. You know what I mean? I didn't yeah. realize Ty Dollar Sign was gonna be as big as he is today. Um, yeah. but I enjoyed all their music and I I mean, to see everybody smoke and listen to like game, you know, do his stuff. You have nineteen thousand people in like a hot box and in this like, you know, this uh this air the air air hanger or whatever it was pretty it was pretty sick. And I was like, That's Man, awesome. you know what? I wanna do something on this scale all the time, right? Yeah. So that kind of led me to to the next thing and it was also in cali so i started doing these these cannabis huge cannabis uh music festivals in california like i ended up running up about 14 of them in, in three years and wow. um there was a bunch of different brands that i worked for or whatever but back then i mean cannabis was just coming out like as like this like legal thing in California, mm -hmm. a, a law called Prop 215. And uh, I mean, at the beginning, I was just like, oh, these dudes just have money over, like they're driving Maybachs. I mean, they look like NBA players now, yeah. right? Like young oh dudes, like owning like these cannabis brands, right? But it's legal, right? So they, you right. know, they're my clients and I'm coming in and, uh, you know, they're, they're every, every show got bigger and bigger too. And they all wanted to do like the biggest shows, right? So, uh, the next uh, version was High Life Music Fest, right? And then that was um, uh, a different client who saw everything that Caleb and I did. And they, they you know, brought us on and hired us and they paid us handsomely to do it. Um, but we had, you know, I think Migos, MGK. I mean, we had a hell of a lineup, right? Um, uh, 
again, like 18 or 19 artists. And then, you know, it's a whole weekend experience, you know, so people come out almost like a Coachella, a mini version of it. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think like 30,000 people were there. And, wow. you know, we go on to the the next concept, which was uh, Chalice, which we were brought on by another, <clears throat> another guy tapping you on the shoulder. Hey, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, we go out there and we did a show with, uh, we had Wu-Tang one night, right? Wow. Yeah. We had Wu Tang, so I'm I'm sitting there talking to these guys like I'm like, man, you don't understand in high school, dude. Like you know, I know, right? <laughs> and uh, we had Wu Tang. Warren G was on there because one day was like an old school day, and the other was like a new school day, right? So like like you know the the artists of today, you know, and the day before is like you know for the obviously the people of our age right. group. Uh, we had Bone Thugs and Harmony, mm. uh, DMX. You know, we had um, artists that I just love growing right. up, and I mean, it just how cool was this that it led to this where I could be in a place, not only all the work that went into it, cultivating like that lineup and everything, but like being there at that moment, right? Like Jada kissing yeah. the locks. Like I, we had them, I'm like, pfft. I'm sitting there with Jada, right? Talking to him about hip hop, you know, for like 30 minutes, just chilling. Awesome. you know, I'm like, so top five dead or alive. And he's just like, he's like, yeah. Like, I'm like, so Biggie, he's like, yeah. Like, what is going on? You know? uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, this is all a culmination of like all my, you know, all of my, all of my hard work and all those things just led me to this like spot. And, and I'm like, man, I love the music. I just love, I love, love, love putting together those shows because if I didn't write that email, I didn't chase that guy down. I didn't do those things. All those people, when I go on in the back, when the headliner comes on and the lights just go, and turn on and everybody sees, you know, that person they came to see and they go nuts. Mm-hmm. It was like, none of that would have happened if I didn't do that. Like, that was my That's idea. Incredible. My idea turned into your, you know, memory, your experience, you know, and, and the That's fact amazing. that I executed it correctly, I, I was able to deliver that for you. That, that goes back to like, you know, some of those books and stuff you read, like you're not working even for money. I mean, it's, you're doing it because you're passionate. You're doing it because you want to be the best at mm-hmm. it. You're doing it because you love it. And, and when you can make other people love it too, I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, one of my favorite memories is we're doing a, a show in LA again and DMX was there. And this is when he's like, you know, cleaned up his act and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's still DMX. I mean, it's still, right. <laughs> um, we're there, Bone Thugs and Harmony is there and uh, everybody's backstage. And I have a picture of this and I think you could, it's on my Instagram, you can check it out. But uh it's a, you'd have to zoom in because it was taken like with a, uh, with a drone and there's mm. all of the people who work the show with holding hands, saying a prayer before, uh, like the headliners and everybody starts coming on and DMX led the prayer, right. Which oh, is wow. pretty deep. I mean, that dude, yeah. I mean, he has some words behind him, right. And I mean, yeah. he's, you know, going in and he's got the, the whole, you know, why he's doing the prayer. And I look over to my right and I forgot we had Nipsey Hussle on the show. And for anybody who knows anything about hip hop, you know, Nip- Nipsey Hussle, you know, rest in peace. He, he, was, he was murdered in the streets of, of, mm-hmm. of LA. Um, but looking back, I forgot about that picture that I had that. And Nipsey was such a positive dude. Like he was, he was doing stuff for his community. He was trying to teach uh, entrepreneurs within, uh, you know, the South Central area to keep and, and own businesses within their community, right? And he was such a positive individual. And just to go back and like, I was scrolling through some pictures and I saw that I had that. Mm. And I knew I'd interacted with him and stuff. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm a guy, I hate to name drop and stuff like, I really do. Like, like my wife's like, oh, you name drop. I'm like, 
no, I mean, that's who was on the show. I'm not just talking, right. you know, but right. I hate the name drop and stuff like that. But looking back, it's like some of those riveting moments in your life, you know, that like you worked with like these people, you know, that were so influential to so other, so many other people. I was like, man, and that's all of us sitting there praying. Like, you know what I mean? It was it's just like, it's mind blowing, you know? That's incredible. That's an amazing story. I mean, to start the child of two 20 year old parents, your dad is a landscaper. You, you, you give up your basketball dream and you find yourself famous in a different way almost really, right? I mean, yeah, it's like, bars, yeah. you know, right? Like pe people know you, you're putting on these big shows, you're interacting with folks that are household names. I mean, th that's gotta be just an amazing feeling and accomplishment to, to like look back over life and say, I'm, I'm somewhere much different than where I was and, and what an accomplishment. How's that when you, do, do you ever take the time to actually like reflect and, and give yourself that grace of like, man, I've really done something well, here. Well, I mean, I, yes, sometimes. I mean, I think COVID, like throughout this last year, like I've really learned to like put guardrails around like my time and space and my energy and and like my family and things like that. Um, and 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 to take time to like look back and like introspectively and just kind of like look at things and say mm -hmm. like, wow, that's that's wild, bro. Like I was looking at, like I said, I was looking at pictures the other day. I had a picture of me and Jada just chilling. I mean, he's, you know, talking to me, we're just sitting there chilling. And and some of the people I've got to like meet, like Burner, who owns like the huge cookies cannabis brand. I was like one of the first people to bring him to DC and, you know, developed a friendship. You know, it's like the dude just got a, his his evaluation in, in Forbes was $500 million for like his cannabis brand, right? Like, and he's a rapper. He's like with Wiz Khalifa's label and stuff. But yeah. Like looking back at like those friendships I've developed and some of the things I've been able to do, yeah, it's it's kind of surreal. Um, but I was always a guy that like told myself I belonged here, right? Yeah. Like I deserve to be here. Like, and if you don't truly believe those things, in the most humble way, like mm. you you have to believe you belong in that room. You have to believe that you know you were meant to do this because it is bigger than you. I mean you're one stop on the map for a tour. You're one stop one night, you know, for these things. Um, but again, if you're doing it for the right reasons and you have a passion for it and stuff, you don't get caught up in those things in the moment, but definitely with COVID looking back, cause it's, you know, things have stopped and to look back at some of the other events and like, you know, the things that we've done, it is surreal. You know what I mean? Like, like when I tell you like Wu-Tang, you and I both look at it like, damn, it was Wu-Tang. You know, because like you That'd and I probably so were cool. sitting in the car at one point listening to Wu-Tang, chopping it up, you know, yeah, as young guys. So like I still get a little like uh, blown away by it. Like when I'm talking to my boys or whatever, like, yo, dog, I was talking to this. But like in the moment, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's right. just, I'm dialed in. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it is pretty surreal. I'm not going to lie. Like when you look back and like, uh and think about like, you know, doing a show with Lil Wayne or something, you know, and you're like, well, like, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's in the moment you're just, you're dialed in, you're gonna, you're gonna rock it out. And afterwards you might think about it like, wow, you know, so. Right, almost like sports. You don't really think about all the stuff that's happening. 
you just get into the 100%. groove, right? Tunnel vision. Yeah, I mean, I played in a game against yeah. uh, against a few uh, NBA players. Like, I, I played a pickup game, and I played okay. But at the time, I was like, you know, I went to go get on the court. And I'm like, dude, I've been doing this since I was a little kid. Like, right. Like, just go out there, do what you do. And yeah, I got my shot blocked. And yeah, I, yeah. I you know, uh, <laughs> I, I definitely made a couple <laughs> shots. But like. At the end of the day, like, yeah, they're just a different kind of athlete than I am at this point. And, and you yeah. know what, like we didn't win, but I went out there, I dropped a couple buckets. I felt good, you know? So, but it, at the end of the day, it's all, you know, it's everything you do. Like, I mean, everyone's going to face that point in time in their life, whatever it is, where it's a challenge, where it's like, you, you might be a little bit above, you know, you might be a little below the level you're playing at. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to get on there, you got to do it, you know, like, yeah you think of like those great sport sports moments and when like lebron comes out of high school and he's playing his first nba game the dude hasn't played any college ball he had basically a summer that separated him from playing high school basketball to the nba he comes out and he's throwing a no look pass like behind the back the first 10 seconds like he's like i'm, I'm out here to play i'm just gonna do me and and mm-hmm. that's how you have to approach business i mean there's so many people that do everything that we all do right like they might not do it exactly the same way, but there might be someone in the same profession as you or offers the same services as your business or whatever. What makes people go to you is you. And that's it. Like, yeah. I mean, that's, it, it's who you are. You know, you're going to look somebody in the eye, tell them the truth. I mean, I never understood why people wanted, especially in the entertainment business, wanted to do business with people who were dishonest, right? Like, I'm like, there's so many, you can tell by the reputation or this happened or that happened. They line up and it's harder to do business with like an honest person in that business. It's weird. You know, where like, you know, you want somebody to come to you because you're like, look what I did. And I took this L for you and I did this and do that. And they, they, they line up to go do business with the dishonest person first, you know, and it's like, you know, just be you and, and you're going to win, you know, one way or the other, if God's plan, you will win, you know what I mean? And, you know, we were talking this morning when I was doing my uh, meeting with my, my team, we were actually having a similar conversation about, uh, about that, that being just below right like like never settle you always have to feel a little bit uncomfortable right if you're feeling totally comfortable then you're really not trying right it's like a good friend of mine i gave him the analogy and 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 we go snowboarding right and he'll give me the hardest time all the time he goes yo dog if you ain't falling you ain't trying right right? And it's just like in life, right? Like if you're not falling, if you're not a little bit uncomfortable, if you're not walking into the room and you got a little bit of butterflies in your tummy when you're about to start it, then 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 you're probably not trying as hard as you really can. And I and and I think that that I think that, that is a thing that this country, this world, forget about our country because it's not specific to our country, but our world in general, like we've made things so easy and we want to make everything so comfortable, but that's not really what life is about. Life is not comfortable right? You can find peace in life, but life itself is not a very comfortable thing. Otherwise, you're probably not it's doing true. a whole lot, right? I mean, you know, my wife, she's in mental health, right? So uh, she's she's someone who's always challenged me as well, like whether it just be to be a better human being, right? And no matter how good business is going or whatever, she's good at keeping me home, right? And keeping yeah. me, keeping me uh, like realizing that I have challenges around our home (laughs) in business right like like, hey i mean hey i understand you just did this show and you just flew back in and everything's cool and i love you and i missed you and i hope 
you know, I made you dinner. I hope everything was good and you enjoyed it. Um, there's, there's some shelves in the garage that you haven't put together in like a month. So I'm still right. like, a husband, you know, like I'm still a brother. <laughs> I'm still a son, uh, right. aspiring parent. We're trying to have kids now. So it's like, oh, congrats. Thanks. Um, and congratulations to you too, sir. Your um, family, your beautiful family. Um, it, thank you. It, it is life altering <laughs> in the best way possible. But it's, uh, you've got to yeah. challenge yourself. I mean, it, when, when it, there's, yeah. we challenge ourselves every, every day, you know, in, in our personal lives and our business lives, whatever. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, now my challenge is my diet, right? Like I gave up drinking yeah. about eight years ago. Um, wow. After I got out of nightclubs, I stopped. I, I was like, all right, I'm done. Um, but like now it's like my diet, right? Like I can exercise, I'm getting older. So like if I have a cheeseburger or something weird or something that's not on the normal <laughs> menu, it's like, it, it yeah. sits right here, you know? So yeah. It's like, man, it's telling. But uh, yeah, you got to challenge yourself. And, uh, you know, especially when you're new in, in any any endeavor, like some of the newer people you might bring on your team and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I always like, you know, especially like, like a music festival, uh, we have a lot of like interns and things like that. Like people want to get involved in marketing or there's so many aspects, right? Sure. In the business, but they, they, you know, they want to meet the artists or they want to do this. And it's like, you can't, not everybody's going to give you access, but if I can give them a moment, I will. But, you know, I, I get them to try to challenge themselves to like, like, look, right. Today you're an intern, but like, you know, tomorrow be my boss, you know, be my, mm-hmm. my client, hire me, you know, like don't, don't settle for, you know, just being in the middle of the pack. Like a lot of people take that comfort, as well like you don't always mm-hmm. want to be the best on the team either like that's i think what led me to get into music festivals too is i like you know i'd kind of been a big fish in dc and i wanted to get out there you know in the world and work with uh some of these other producers like some of the guys i worked with do like sundance music festival they do wow. or, uh, they do edc and they do like some of these big things you learn from that mm. you know like i've been in the room and been the dumbest person in the room i'm you know maybe not I felt the dumbest, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like, man, right. these guys know everything. Like, geez, why don't I think of that? Like, you know, uh, yeah. so, you know, you get ready to talk and it's like, they're already talking. It's like, all right, thanks. I'll see yeah. back. But, um, you know, it's, you always want to challenge yourself. You know, you want to play yeah. up and, uh, and uh, you learn, you learn so much from that. I, I think being the smartest guy in the room is overrated right? All the pressure's on your shoulders and you're expected to know everything and you're not, you're not growing if that's the case, right? I, I was talking to another guest the other day and, and they were telling their story that, you know, they were 23 years old and they were the number three in their market. And they were like, I don't have any business being number three. I need to go to a bigger market and immediately went to like number 26 or something like that. Right. And it's like, there you go. Right. Gave himself an opportunity to continue to push up. So I, I, I agree totally with that. Um, you know, it's it. It comes with some age, too. Right. Like, I, I love hearing the story of how how you had the drive at a young age and you had a lot of focus. And then I can hear, though, in your voice now, like the reflection, the ability to, like, understand it. Right. Like then you're just kind of instinctually going where you think you need to go. And now there's the ability to say, okay, I've learned something. I can pay it forward to some young folks and maybe help shorten their learning curve. It almost yeah. sounds like- Yeah, and I mean, I like to see them in their natural thinking habitat, right? Like, you know, I've done consulting work too for like nightclubs and 
and other things. And I watch these like young managers who are just coming into it, trying to do things and watching them move around. And I might have a, a, a smile on my face and no one knows why. It's like, I, I already know what's going through his mind. You know, like, right. I, I don't need this. I can do it myself. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. it's Friday by Sunday. You're going to be begging for, <laughs> begging for them. So, right. you know, I just, you know, I, it, you know, then you kind of get in their ear and, and, you know, hey, you know, word of the wise, this is, you know, what I can offer. And, you know, I, I take that back to like some of my, the mentors that I've had in my life, um, you know, they did it for me, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're gonna let you swim, but if you get in trouble, we're, we're not gonna tell you we're gonna do it, but we're gonna get in there, we're gonna help you. And, you know, if they can make it a little easier, guide you, you know, just redirect that compass to the right place, you know, that's what we're here for. You know, life's about connection too, right? So- For sure. Uh, if you. I think what's LeBron saying, reach one, teach one. You know what I mean? So like yeah. you have somebody dialed in with you and, and they want to learn and, and we didn't do it just for ourselves, you know, and share that knowledge, share that passion, share, you know, anything you can do to shorten that curve and that, that agony for people, right? Because I know we went right. through it at one point in time. We're like, how are we going to do this? And we figured Definitely. it out, you know? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So um, let's talk a little bit about um, something that I know that it's important to you. I want you to be able to tell us some of the other things. Um, we've picked your brain like crazy about work. Um, talk to us about the uh, Via Lobos, the charity that that you're interested in, which I love yeah. that, by the way. Uh, the, if you've ever seen the show on A&E, it's uh, Pitbulls and Prolies. Um, yeah. it, it's a reality show about an animal rescue that rescues pitbulls. And they give uh, an opportunity to people who have been convicted of crimes. You know, I, I believe it's nonviolent crimes, but you know they have a hard mm -hmm. time getting reintroduced into society um, and getting finding jobs. So pitbulls have a huge stigma against them, right? Like, oh, they're such dangerous dogs. They're bad animals. I mean, I've owned pitbulls my whole life, and they are the most loving. They're very protective, but they're they're okay. loving and emotional, and 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 just like the sweetest things. You know, we have a ninety pound mm -hmm. pitbull named Chloe. Uh, you know, she's six years old. She's a little cannonball. She's a big girl. Uh, she's a big girl. <laughs> and we got her from, my wife found her uh, on that show. They had puppies and she called and they brought her up from New Orleans. And wow. um, we were able to adopt her and we give back uh, as much as we can, you know, whether it be send yeah. some toys and stuff, because they have hundreds of dogs at times, um, food, things like that. And what they do is that, uh, being that, you know, with that breed, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to foster them or get them out. Mm -hmm. um, and people, you know, typical, you know, inner city, you know, environment like we both came from where it's like, yo, I got I, I'm breeding my pit. <laughs> so it's like right. it's overbreeding and, and things like that. But yeah. um, what we try to do is give back to them as much as we can, because they are a nonprofit organization. They, they run under donations and, um, you know, we they brought a lot of joy to our life, you know, with Chloe. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we do whatever we can to try to help them. So it's Via Lobos Rescue Center in New Orleans. And uh, like I said, they, you know, anything from like, you know, a blanket for, you know, maybe a new dog that comes in to a chew toy to, you know, just food in their, in their stomach uh, or money mm -hmm. to, to feed some of the, the guys that are taking care of them, some of the prolees, you know, to, yeah. you know, get, you know, clean socks or something, you know what I mean? Like, it's uh, truly one hand washes the other there. And uh, it's something that we're passionate about, my wife and I, uh, because we absolutely love animals and we love pit bulls and uh, yeah. we think it's incredible. Great people running the organization too, so. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, we'll definitely make sure that that uh, link is in the show notes so that people can go and donate. Um, I'm with you on Pitbulls. I've always had Pitbulls as well. We have one now that we adopted as well. River, who is um, six years old and still acts like he's a year old. He's a boy in China yeah. shop. Um, but he is so good with our daughters. I mean, he licks their faces, which the older one doesn't really like so much anymore. Um, he doesn't mean to, but he'll stand up sometimes. And just because he's so big, he'll turn around and knock the baby down. Right. But I mean, just the sweetest dogs and, and, and very loving, very protective. I agree. Yeah. They have a bad rap. It really bothers me. I actually have, I have, um, on my long-term goals, I have, a a, a mission to have four fully funded pit bull rescues around the country. One for the North, South, I absolutely love West. that, and I want to be a part of that if I can. Let, let us know how yeah, we can. We'll, we'll run some music festivals I, around. I'm it. not kidding. <laughs> I was just thinking already. My fundraising brain started going. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, anything we can do, and I mean, you know, there's so many people in this world. If they gave it a chance, like they would fall in love with their pit bull so quick, and so they 100%. are the most loving. I mean. Chloe is on me 24 seven. I mean, my wife sometimes is like, all right, get out of here. He's my, you know, he's mine. Right. Like, she's right, me, right. You know? So she's my baby and I love her so much. And uh, I, I wouldn't, I couldn't imagine my life without, you know what I mean? Like as crazy yeah. as our lives are and, and hectic and, and stuff like that, I couldn't imagine our lives without Chloe, you know what I mean? And uh, I'm sure people feel that way about any animal they have, but sure. when you have a breed that, uh, you know, is in that, that, category of like you know oh they're dangerous and they're just you know if, if they're put in a shelter they get put down and they get put down for basically just being a breed they mm -hmm. weren't given an opportunity and for us that's just unacceptable yeah i agree yeah when 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 sarah and i my wife first met and she was you know i had lost a, my dog who actually you may have at one point if you ever came over back in the day when we were at timpanos i had sierra who was a pit bull and she, she passed and I was heartbroken. I couldn't get, I just couldn't get another dog. And, and my, and my wife decided that she wanted to go to the pound and I'm like, I'm not going to the pound. I'm not going down to the pound because I know what's going to happen. Not getting a dog. We're not going to the pound. We were living in DC and we actually went down to um, the uh, DC Humane Society, which now I, now I think it's called the um, Humane um uh, Humane Alliance, I think is what they call it now. And we go down and, and it's really funny story because we're looking and they bring out one dog and I'm, I, I'm just like, no, that's not the one. Another one, no, that's not the one. And then I was like, honey, are you even sure that we can have a pit bull? Like, I'm pretty sure that there's a breed restriction. Yeah. We're living in an apartment on 14th Street at this time in, in Northwest DC. And so she calls the building. And sure enough, they have a restriction on pit bulls and Rottweilers and Dobermans and like, you name it, every dog that has teeth almost, <laughs> right? So, so, so we, uh, they go, well, listen, there's one more dog. There's one more dog. Why don't you take a look at this dog? And we go out into the yard and I mean, he's beautiful. And I'm like, that's actually like a purebred pit bull. That's a red nose, golden, purebred pit bull. And they go, no, no, that's a um, yellow lab American bulldog. And I'm like, no, <laughs> trust me, I've grown up around pit bulls. This is a, pit and so it takes three times, and my wife finally goes, idiot, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a, a golden retriever American bulldog mix. So they put that mm -hmm. on the paper for us. We take it, and we're able to have you know our pet, and he's been. 
just such an amazing, oh, amazing I mean, dog for us. He's so similar player. to like Chloe, we, you know, Stafford's hired Terrier or whatever they want to put on the paper. Right, right. But like, that's like the greatest thing. It's like, you know, the, the breed, the, you know, whether it be a rescue uh, center or whatever, everybody's on the same team from the, you know, the, the potential right. parent there. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody's on the team because they know that you can't write pit bull on the paper. So no, you can't. But they're confident. Sure. They're confident that once they gave you that paper, that you know you give them a good home and you'd be okay when getting any trouble. You know, so right. I, I believe in that. But that that is that's remarkable. And I'm definitely going to mention that to my wife. Uh, I'm sure she'll listen to the uh, episode and give me a bunch of crap. Like, you know, you talked the whole time, right? <laughs> <laughs> you've got a great story to tell you got a great story to tell T tell us about um I, I think there are a couple of things that you wanted us to be aware of that you're promoting as well you want to share those well with us? We're, we're launching uh we're definitely going to do a maryland uh cannabis festival but you know obviously these dates and stuff are pending uh, mm -hmm. one of the things i've become passionate about actually throughout this whole journey is uh the ability uh and the medicinal use of cannabis for people i personally you know when in Rome, but like, you know, I, like I said, I gave up drinking. I've done a lot of other stuff in my life, given up. So, uh, it's not necessarily, uh, prevalent in my life, but, um, I've seen it been really, really, uh, positive in a lot of people's lives, you know, especially with like opioid addiction and like, mm -hmm. uh, pain. I mean, throughout my journey, I've met people at, you know, stage three brain cancer and, and nothing's working for them, but cannabis does. So, mm -hmm. um, it's something I've been passionate about because if it, gives people access to something that, you know, again, they're not hurting anyone. Um, and obviously it goes hand in hand with, with music. Right. So like it's sure. a perfect marriage there. Um, we're going to do something in, we're bringing something back to DC, but we're also going to do something in Maryland where, you know, it's definitely, uh, you know, a lot of education around it. So like, if you're somebody who's interested mm -hmm. in finding out about it, you want to find out, uh, you know, from a dispensary owner, how to become uh, you know, someone in, uh, entrepreneur in that, that business. Um, we kind of bring all of those things together, almost like a conference and a kick-ass concert. So we try to give you a little education and a whole lot of fun. Um, and it's something that I've, you know, over my journeys and travels have picked up and uh, absolutely love the people I've met in that industry. Um, some of the most genuine and real people. Um, so it's, it's a couple things that, you know, just stay, you know, in tune with 1am and you're going to see a lot come out. So um, we're also, you know, with my hospitality background, uh, over this next year, launching some form of a hospitality brand and concept. So, uh, you're probably going to see, um, uh, it'll be more of a hybrid, like a bar, uh, lounge, uh, type thing. We're not going to, okay. we're not going to be slinging too many plates, but it'll be more like tapas. Um, but that, mm -hmm. that should be coming soon too. And again, they're, 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 projects that I don't want to give you too much information on because I don't want sure. everybody getting a jump on me but at the same time please continue to watch out and support because you'll see it and uh you know there's a lot of things we're trying to bring to you you know for uh you know enjoyment and when you're allowed out of the house I'm sure everyone's going to be out of the house so absolutely I think it's going to be gangbusters now where can people go to follow you and keep up to right date now I'd say the doing? easiest thing is just to follow me on Instagram man it's uh ray r-a-y uh dot one a.m it's, uh, okay. you know, it's something where, you know, you're going to get a lot of information from one day and then the next day I won't post it all. You're like, what happened to this guy? And then the next day I'll come back and post five <laughs> times and, uh, you know, uh, but anything that's important, I'll always throw up there. Um, and, uh, okay. I think it's just the easiest way at this point in time, you know, I mean, everybody's scrolling, so.
Yep. Well, we'll put all your social links into the show notes as well. And, and on the video, they'll be down here as well. So people can add you to everything. Um, listen, Ray, I, I want to thank you so much for your time today. This has been awesome. I mean, it's, it, it was, it was great for me too, self-servingly, because it was an awesome way to catch up with you and everything that you've been doing um, since we've really last hung out, which is God, man, probably 15 years ago. Yeah. I feel like we're, it's been a while. It's, it's been a minute. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to soon when the world gets back to normal, being able to, you know, get a chance to meet Trisha and, and the pups that you have and uh, hopefully maybe uh, a little one as well. Yeah, man. You know, we're working on it, you know, so, uh, you know, I'm sure. To, <laughs> I, I hear the practice is fun. I don't know. We have one. I now, have no so. complaints. <laughs> I have no complaints. Man. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's been great. All right. And I really appreciate it and uh, becoming a fan of your podcast as well. So, you know, it's something I'll, I'll continue to stay in touch with. And uh, anybody out there is interested in uh, learning more about the entertainment business or anything of that nature, you know, you can always reach out to me, um, send me a DM or something like that, and we can link up. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. Well, Ray, it's been a pleasure, my man. Maverick Nation, this has been Ray Voigt and Romeo Santos talking to you about all sorts of fun things. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next Appreciate time. Appreciate it, brother.